What I'm really looking for is a weak savior said nobody ever. Uh, who would have picked that? Uh, if God would give us two options to say, do you want the strong version or the weak version, all of us would have picked the strong version. Uh, that was true of Jesus' time, still true for us. Today, this idea that the Savior God would send would be weak, that he would suffer, is exactly the opposite of what we would expect it. But God says that that's how he flips everything around. Here's, here's a passage from 1 Corinthians. God says, he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Rather than things that are smart, God worked through things that people call stupid. Rather than things that are strong, God chose the weak and the powerless and the the poor. And so in the Christian church, is there time to emphasize Jesus' power and his glory, his life, his victory over death? Yeah, we call that time Easter, and it's coming in just a couple weeks. But I know people who'd rather just live in Easter all the time and skip this time we call Lent, because this is the time we talk about the other side, where God sent a Savior who was weak and who suffered, just like our lives are going to be full of of, of weakness too. And so as, as we deal with these themes during Lent, the questions are often, well, how, God? How would you use weakness? And why, God? Why would you use weakness? And each week you see that answered from a different angle. So Pastor Tom Have last week, he got the snakes at the time of Moses where that poison, it, it drew the people back to God by having them look in faith at what God had raised up on the pole, pointing to Jesus. Today the answer is different. It's going to the letter written to Hebrews, which is a name for saying Christians in the early church who were predominantly Jewish. People who are wondering, should I leave Jesus behind or should I hold on to him? And the reason for them to hold on to Jesus is not because of how strong he is, but actually because of how weak he is. And if that seems backwards to you, then let's open it up there and look through what's written there about how for us to having a weak savior is exactly what we need. So if you have a worship folder, it's on page, I think, 11? No, 9. Page 9 in your worship folder. Otherwise, I'll put some key verses up on the screen. Uh, the outline here is, first is the application, because we usually think of the application at the end. I'm going to read that kind of quickly and then come back to it later. Then, because these Jewish Christians knew the Old Testament really well, he draws an example from the Old Testament before leading them back to Jesus, our Savior. So here's where it begins. Uh, you heard this before. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So the whole letter's theme is let's hold on to Jesus. Why? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So from that, maybe you can sense where this is going. But like I said, let's come back to that at the end. First, he takes us back to the Old Testament, to the kind of person that God would choose to be a high priest. If you're not familiar with what that job is, the next verse gives a job description. So chapter five, verse one says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
Perhaps the best verse in the Bible that would be a job description of being an Old Testament high priest. You need somebody who's going to be in the middle between sinful human beings and, and God. So on the one side, that when the people sin, to be there with the sacrifice that will take that sin away and bring forgiveness from God. On the other side, that when God's grace and forgiveness and his blessings come, the priest is the one who holds those out and gives them to the people. You say, what a, what a wonderful, holy job to have to be someone who's in that kind of position. And if you'd say then, who's qualified, who ought to be filling that role as high priest, this letter emphasizes two aspects. One is, nobody can just step in and say, I'm the perfect person for that job. Instead, God called people. God didn't have some kind of competition, survivor style, where you start out with the top 20 and then you keep eliminating them until you're down to the one who's the best at the end. He didn't take job applications and say, I'm going to weed through this pool of candidates and pick the one who's the best. Instead, God called men to serve. And the next verse gives you an idea of what God was looking for. He, the high priest, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. And that last line there is what has just caught hold of me this week and made me think about it. Uh, one of the things, there are other things too, but what was God looking for in the men he chose to be the Old Testament high priests? He was looking for people who were subject to weakness. Uh, the word picture there is like you're clothed. A man who's wearing weakness as what he is, is wrapped in and, and clothed in. Again, the exact opposite of what we would have picked. We would have picked, let's have a strong high priest. God says, I want to pick someone who is wrapped in, in weakness. Why? Why would God choose weakness rather than strength? Again, lots of different angles you could answer that question from. The one in this verse is, so that he's able to deal with people who are weak. And you can maybe think through examples of how human beings have all kinds of weaknesses. The verse here emphasizes two. Do you see them there? People who are ignorant, people who are wandering. In my experience, two categories of people who need the most patience and loving care Ignorant, not just that people don't know stuff, but what do you do with somebody who's so sure of themselves, so, so just to know it all that you can't tell them anything because they don't think they don't need to learn anything and yet they're ignorant of what they really need to know. They don't know the truth. How do you serve somebody like, like that? Or the second category is somebody who's wandering. Maybe not just they accidentally chose the wrong path, but what about somebody who intentionally chose the path that leads away from God? What about the person the high priest has already warned again and again and again, that's not the right path, this is where God wants you to be, but again and again and again that person chooses to wander away from God? What kind of high priest do you need to serve people who are all too often very weak? God chose to have priests who were themselves weak, so they would know how to deal gently with others. You can maybe sense how that would work, right? 
if you'd have the kind of person who doesn't see any weaknesses in themselves, who has never faced any kind of struggles themselves, probably pretty easier to them to turn to the person who is full of weaknesses and say, well, what's wrong with you? Let me show you how easy this is, when for that person it's not. So God in the Old Testament chose men who were subject to weakness because then they would be the ones, again, that position to be in between God and the people, to be able to deal gently with people as they sinned, to be able to hold out to them the grace and love of God. In those sacrifices every day, pointing ahead to the one sacrifice, Jesus, who would give himself for us. That's what God was looking for in his Old Testament high priests. Now, as I think of us today, in a, in a way, it's still true of the people God calls to serve his church. Uh, so I think of myself as a pastor. We have teachers here who are called as well. Um, it's, it's the same, uh, both in the callings aspect and in, in the weakness side of it. Uh, Lutheran churches always push back against the idea that anybody who wants to should just step up and preach and be a pastor or a teacher. Uh, who is it that can be worthy to be the one who speaks God's word, who, who is the one who baptizes on behalf of the church, who is the one who leads the celebration of the Lord's Supper? Uh, our Augsburg Confession says that it ought to be someone who is, who is called. Again, not some kind of survivor-style competition. Uh, four years ago, when you're looking for a pastor, it's not like I was the best out of 20 candidates. It was that language of God through you called me here to serve as, as a pastor. So, so that side is still true, and, and the weakness side is too. And I wrestle with that. Why, why is it that God lets me have this temptation or that temptation? Why is this relationship or that relationship in my life not quite right? Why are there all these things inside that I struggle with? Why do I feel so weak sometimes? Again, lots of different answers. Maybe God is calling me back to him. Uh, maybe he's, he's showing how much I need to rely on him. All kinds of reasons like that. But, but how about this perhaps is a reason uh, that if I myself am weak, that is something I need to be able to serve others who are, who are weak. Uh, and I can't speak for the other pastors, but I'm guessing they'd, they'd say the same thing. Uh, that this is one of the reasons why God chooses people to serve in the church and not angels. Uh, he doesn't always choose the people who are the best at everything. Uh, he chooses people who hopefully can gently deal with the souls who are in their care. And I'm hoping that's something you see in us. Uh, being approachable is not something I can dictate. I am approachable, and then you just say I'm approachable. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing where it's a matter of trust that's built up over time. Uh, but I hope that you would find that if you struggle with a temptation, uh, if you have a weakness that maybe you've never been, been able to talk about with anybody else, if you'd come to a pastor and sit down and say, hey, I need to talk about this in my life, I'm not going to look at you like you're some kind of strange person from another planet, like, who in the world are you that you're weak and you have suffering? And t-? You know, it's... This is part of who we are as human beings. And as God sends people to serve people who are weak, God sends people who are clothed in weakness. Again, so that, in the middle of that weakness, hopefully you'll find that we as your pastors can hold out the grace of God, just like those Old Testament priests did, 
that in the end it's not going to say, yeah, look how weak and horrible you are. It'll be to say, let's look at the grace of God, your Savior, who forgives even you. Uh, And maybe you can apply that to yourself too. Why is it that God lets you be weak? Why is it that God lets this suffering or that suffering into your life? Again, I don't always know the mind of God. There might be other reasons too, but perhaps this is on the list too. That as you wrestle through that weakness in life and find that it's only God's strength that gets you through, who knows the person who's going to be in your life tomorrow who needs you to be the one to hold out God's grace to them? You probably know that, right? Uh, That once you've been through something, other people who are going through that same thing will feel like they can approach you and ask you to help them. And so maybe you'll use your own weakness uh, in that way too. But the main point today is not about the high priest, it's not about us as pastors, it's not about you and your weakness. The main point is about Jesus in his weakness, and that's where Hebrews goes next. So here's the very next verse. In the same way, so there's a correlation between the Old Testament priests and the way that God sent his son into the world. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now how that looked in the mystery of the Trinity that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one God at the same time, that is mind-blowing. But the way the Bible talks, from all eternity, it's not like Jesus was the one who butted in and said, I'm the one who's going to be the Savior. Uh, Just like the Old Testament priest, just like a pastor today, the Bible says Jesus was chosen by God the Father. He was called to this work of being our Savior. Holy Spirit's the one who anointed him. So, That's the same about Jesus. He was called to be our Savior, and he also was subject to weakness. Uh, The next verse, in another place he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's leading into what's coming up in in the letter. Chapters 7, 8, and 9 talk a lot more about Jesus being the high priest, about not being from the family of Aaron, from the order of Melchizedek. But here's the verse now about the weakness of Jesus. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Again, we expect a strong Savior. We see all the weakness we face, and we would have expected a Savior who would have just avoided the pain and suffering of this life, some kind of end around, some kind of path, avoiding the things that we would have wanted to avoid, but no, Jesus went, went right through. And if we had to go through it, then I suppose we would have said, well, at least I'll make it a little bit easier, right? I'll, I'll make the pain not quite so intense. I'll, I'll find a way to, to lessen it a bit. But you look at Jesus, and he, if anything, chose the worst possible path, even crucifixion on, on a cross, Uh, That verse focuses on the fact that Jesus, in his life, he shed tears, he cried. Maybe you know that time when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, and Lazarus' sister Martha is crying, and his sister Mary's crying, everybody's crying, and Jesus goes there to the edge of the, the tomb, and 
there's a little verse, and those two words are so precious. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus cried too. But in this verse, it's not so much about in the, in the view, in face of death. It's as he wrestled in prayer with God his Father, Jesus, Jesus shed tears. And there's a sound, the sound of his loud cries as he wrestled with weakness and suffering and pain. I think on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think in the Garden of Gethsemane where it says his prayer was so urgent that his sweat was like drops of blood. He knew what it was like to suffer weakness and pain. And the next verse adds a thought on that. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Again, just mind-blowing if you stop and think about it. What in the world would God need to learn? What would Jesus need to learn as our Savior? Uh, That verse says Jesus needed to learn obedience. Not that he was disobedient and had to learn something different, but there is a sense of you can learn something through experience as opposed to knowing about it otherwise. For example, I know there's this place called Australia with kangaroos that hop around there, but that's not part of my experience at all. I I know it, but I've never experienced it. Does Jesus know what it's like to obey his Father? Yes, but the way this verse talks about it, in his life on earth, he learned it in the experience kind of way too, where he was a human being following the will of God. And I think you know, right, that's a bit easier when things are going your way in life, when the path God has you on is is pleasant and nice, but when you're suffering, that's when it's easy to say, no, God, I'm going to go my route. I'm not going to obey you. But Jesus, in the middle of his suffering, he learned that path of perfect obedience to God his Father. And then... With that perfect life, he laid it down on the cross as the payment for all of our sins. Being the perfect high priest, the priests in the Old Testament had the animal sacrifices that were only a picture, they never really paid for sin. Jesus gave himself as our perfect high priest. And then that next line is just beautiful. And once he was made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He is the perfect one to be our Savior. Not the strong Savior kind of route that we would have chosen, but a Savior who is weak and suffered is exactly the one we need. He is the perfect Savior for us. He is the source of eternal salvation for for all who obey him. That, That word obey in Greek has the word listening built into it. That as you hear the word of God, first of all, you hold on to it in, in faith. And is it going to shape your life too as you follow God's path? Yeah, it is. For you and I who know Jesus, who hold on to him, the promise is we have the perfect Savior and eternal life. Last verse to wrap it up. And he was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So again, Those two things are true of Jesus. He was called and he served us in in weakness. So, if I go back now to the beginning, 
we saw the application, and you can maybe sense where this is going now. Why is it so good that Jesus is weak? It makes him someone we can approach, someone who knows, who knows us. And I'd ask you this morning, do you find Jesus approachable? I think there are people who feel like he's not. Uh, feel like I've never seen his face, I've never talked to him. Perhaps God is really distant in this world, kind of vaguely there, but not in any way knowing, knowing me. Or maybe, maybe he knows me, but he, he's God. How does he really know what I'm going through in life? And there are different ways I see that where people aren't really comfortable just approaching Jesus. Uh, one of them is I was reading a book a couple weeks ago about a woman who, who was, was working with some Catholic monasteries and she was talking about how she found her patron saint. Her patron saint is Raphael. And this was one where as a kid growing up as a Lutheran, I never really got the patron saint idea. Uh, but I looked at it more this week and I found a Catholic website where you can go through this directory of like 1,700 different patron saints and what you do is you try to find the one that matches up with what you're personally experiencing. With your own occupation, with your own, own weaknesses. For example, if you have cancer, there's a patron saint of cancer and of course it was a guy from the 1200s who had a huge cancerous tumor on his leg, right? So there's somebody who really must know me and what I'm going through. If I would reach out to them, they would get me, right? Uh, if you're a butcher, there's a patron saint for, for butchers. If you're a photographer, there's a patron saint for photographer. Again, because if someone shares that occupation with me, then maybe they would understand me. Uh, it can feel so hard to approach somebody else who doesn't really know who you are you are. But this section of Hebrews says you don't need somebody else. Yeah, it's wonderful if you've got friends in this world you can turn to who are approachable, who understand you, but why is it so wonderful for us to have this Savior who is weak and suffered? It's because he knows exactly what we go through because he's lived it himself. And not just as someone who lived and failed, but the one whose strength was not that he, he avoided it, but that he, he perfectly lived through it as our, our Savior. So let me go back to those opening verses. Here's the application for us today. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Again, hold on to Jesus. Let's not let go of him. Why not? Because... We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. If you dig down in the deepest depths of the things that trouble you, what is it that are your weaknesses and your sufferings and your, your pain? Does Jesus, your Savior, empathize with you? Yeah, not just in, in one of them, but in, in all of them. He knows what you're going through, and he's the one who's, who's able to help you as the one who never sinned. So, the last verse is this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Where do you go when you are weak? Where do you go when you are suffering? You can go to the very throne of God. And not timidly, not wondering, does he really get me or not? Is he going to listen to me or not? To go there confidently and know that there you're going to refine, receive mercy and find grace to help you in whatever time of need it is that you face. And isn't that exactly what we need? We need God's grace and his mercy. You see that throughout the Bible. What were the Old Testament priests there to do? They were there to give God's grace and mercy to the people. What is it that's the heart of being a pastor, teacher, or fellow Christian today? It's holding out the grace of God in Christ. What is it you will find as you approach your Savior? You'll find that he's the one who gives you his mercy and his, and his grace. Now as I finished writing the sermon, I realized I picked the wrong hymn to end the service. Sometimes I do that. I, I look ahead and I think I picked the right hymn, uh, but then I write the sermons like, oh, I should have picked another one. So the hymn to close the service is a good one. It focuses on the language of Jesus being our high priest. And as we sing that, think through these thoughts about the one who gave himself for us, the one through whom we can approach God with confidence. But maybe you're thinking the same thing I was. The hymn I should have picked to close the service is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Uh, let me just read the first verse of that, and you can maybe sing along in your head if you know the melody. Uh, but here's how that hymn goes. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Amen. Let's all rise now and confess our faith together. Today we're going to sing our confession of faith, the song, You Are God, We Praise You. <laughs>